So I couldn't do this without going to my file of MVS history, and I still have the Mennonite Voluntary Service Handbook, um, which is probably at least 35 years old, um, and one of the recruiting brochures, and um, this is really just kind of um, a little bit of history, but this was before the internet, <laughs> before we had email, but we would do our own recruiting, and we would post flyers at SPU with little tear-offs if you were interested in, in being in VS, um, you could, we would do our own recruiting. So again, if you look at these very um, feeble efforts, um, you have to be a little bit impressed <laughs> <laughs> that, that this was done very simply. Um, so you're welcome to look at these afterwards. <laughs> um, it, it is kind of a bittersweet moment to share um, a bit of MVS history at a time when we are gathered to say goodbye to something very beloved. Um, this overview wouldn't be sufficient if we didn't already have a lot of history on the ground with this program. So as many of you know from our 50th, we talked a little bit about VS sort of beginning when Daryl and Linda Graber started the church and their vision was you know, it would be great to have an MVS program and a lot of new uh, young adults coming to Seattle and, and being part of the church. So um, that's kind of, they asked to have a VS unit and um, at that point, um, I don't know if that was in Newton that made that decision, but um, they opened up a VS unit here and the first VSers on record here, I've just passed out, um, was 1972 and um, some of those people were, uh, came out of a program of the alternative service. At that point, we still had a draft and one way to, um, to fulfill your draft obligation was to do alternative service. So the very first VSers that came to Seattle were doing their uh, alternate service um, time. So um, at some point, the draft ended and VS became an all-volunteer program. So um, by the time uh, a lot of people came in 75, 76, that part of it was over. Um, the, the first VSers lived in a variety of different places um, around Capitol Hill, and I think it was a kind of a, if you talk to those people, uh, David's one of them, a very disparate kind of existence, um, moving from apartment to apartment and not really having a, a one place. But in 1976, they were we were able to buy that house on Capitol Hill, and that sort of then became a gathering place for the next 43 years or so of, of VS. And there were years there when, um, we were full, that was a, we could have eight or nine people in that house and we were full, so we started a second unit around the corner down the street and uh, filled that house for a few years and Marsha and I were just chatting and I had kind of forgotten this, but um, that house had to move at some point. I had not remembered that. So 
for, for a couple of years, we had a second house. Um, but probably by the time Jack and Marcia got married, <laughs> we decided <laughs> that th that house had to close. So we were back to the sort of eight or nine on the, on the, um, in, in the big house. So here's what it looked like. Um, 225 mostly young adults came to Seattle to live in community while serving in the community. The VS mission um, seeks to live out the servanthood style of ministry modeled by Jesus Christ. It responds to the needs of the poor and powerless in North America. So the service positions encompassed mental health work, low-income housing, food banks, environmental organizations, VORP, early childhood services, 10,000 villages, and a whole variety of, of spectrum of things. And I think one of my favorite things, and Cal's not here to be embarrassed about this, but Cal Ott was with the Bulk Commodities Exchange. <laughs> and that was um, probably a program ahead of its time, but they bought cheese and other things in bulk based out of the Pike Place market and would cut them up and and people, uh, probably the first CSA uh, that, that was happening. So that program didn't last very long, four, three, four years, um, but it is in the historical records of the Pike Place market. So, um, so we can um, think about our service there with the market. Um, there's always been a support committee from made up of church members um, that supported the unit and so for many years, there was no, uh, that support committee and the pastors did the work of finding um, job placements and supporting the unit. And it was only uh, later uh, that we, we hired a local program coordinator to do some of that work. Um, so that was a lot of work for the support committee at that time. The people who live there. Oh, yeah, you had to find your own replacement. Well, that sounds like it. So that sounds like something we would do. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was in general, our yeah, our program um, made money because we had a cheap house. We had nine or people getting um, bringing in income. Um, our house generally made money for the unit for the VS program. So we would send that extra money back to the VS unit to support other other units. So. And I just want to, um, the other thing I just want to point out, this is not the first time that this discussion about what do we do has come up. Um, there was a time in the 90s, and I, I have a very uh, clear um, line, uh, plea of this, of, of thinking about does Seattle still hold, have the vision for a, for a VS unit? And this was probably in the 90s. So it's not the first time that this has happened. But I just also want to just make a couple of comments about um, the the role of, of VS has had with this church and and the national and the and the greater church. Um, there are organizations here in Seattle that started with VS workers that really did benefit. Seattle Mental Health, which is now called Sound Mental Health, it, it had I don't know probably a dozen MVSers over a couple of years more than that um, in a variety of capacities until they were sufficient enough that they did not need them anymore. So um, another um, DESC, the, the homeless issues, um, DESC was not quite in existence then, but 
but we, once they were um, starting up, we really put a lot of the volunteers there. And I think that we have continued to support that as an issue, so it has had an impact in the community. Um, a number of the environmental organizations, um, Friends of the Earth, Sierra Club, People for Puget Sound, um, the TILF, Washington Toxic Coalition. Um, we've had a number of volunteers in places like that that has left an impact in those organizations. Um, Child Haven um, was formerly Seattle Day Nursery and we had a number of volunteers who worked with them. So, so our presence in some of the local communities has, has been, um, and I know my time is up, but one, I just will say one other thing, um, that the impact on our congregation is that the efforts have stayed in this congregation. Um, I can count eight or nine or ten marriages out of VS, um, some between VSers, some between congregants and VSers, um, and here and Evergreen. So, um, and our church has sent a whole number of, of, of young adults to VS. So that program has has um, lived within our within our church. Um, so I think that's probably enough. I will just, one other, uh, uh, one other thing is that it was often VSers who were at some of the protests and rallies along with other FMCers. This is a picture from 1978, I think it was Time or Newsweek magazine. And um, several of us VSers are holding Mennonites against Trident um, posters at the big uh, rally. So VS um, and Mennonites had a presence in, in that in those kinds of um, bigger public sh justice issues. Thank you so much, Anne. Appreciate the, the look into our past. And I'm gonna invite Pastor Jonathan up to um, give us a glimpse into our more recent past and to the discernment process that's happened over the last year or two um, with Evergreen Mennonite Church and uh, the outcome of that. Yeah, it's been a uh, better part of a year and a half now that yeah, and we have some copies of the report that was emailed out to everyone um, some months ago already. So just tracking back the timeline, <coughs> in a letter dated November 1st in 2017, uh, Seattle Mennonite and Evergreen Mennonite Churches received a letter from the Mennonite Voluntary Service uh, Unit Support Committee recommending that MVS Seattle program take a sabbatical year in 2018-2019, a sabbatical year which later became a two-year sabbatical meant to provide a programmatic break during which the longer-term viability and vision of the program could be discerned. So in April and May then of 2018, we held three discernment meetings facilitated by Doug Basinger around the questions of, do the congregations feel called to continue MVS in Seattle? What would a sustainable and successful program look like? Do we still feel called to continue MVS in Seattle given the time and skill and finances needed to make it happen? So the notes from these meetings were all sent out to the churches along with a survey which asked for responses based on people's reading of those notes. Based on all that was shared and noted, what appears to be the leading of the spirit at this time? Which then led to a summary of that discernment going out to both the congregations, the copies of which you have in your hand today, drafted by myself and uh, Jessica, a pastor at Evergreen Mennonite Church, tested and approved by the MVS Support Committee, Just Peace Council, and ultimately spiritual leadership team before you find it in front of yourself today. 
in the form of two summary recommendations which reflect the careful listening and discernment we undertook over the last 18 months. So the first recommendation then is this. Recommendation to EMC and SMC would be to close this chapter of MDS and the congregations individually or in partnership would call out a discernment team when a new call invitation is broadly heard by the congregation. This recommendation is a reflection of the sense that we came to that whatever forms voluntary service might take in the future, it needs to be something new. Ideas are percolating. There were uh, many, many ideas and visions that are in the notes that you all received, but we didn't yet have clarity as to what direction we might pursue with whom or what or with what focus or when. Which led us to the sense that openness to the ministries that God will set before us over time is the spiritual practice we are called to. MDS has shaped this congregation. It shapes who we are. We only just heard a glimpse into that from Aaron. And closing this chapter of Mennonite voluntary service will bring forward both grief and gratitude. And we seek to attend to all of that experience and those feelings, which is here in the room right now and beyond us. The second recommendation that we have before us is this the recommendation to SMC and EMC to task a shared committee to develop recommendations for the transition and or sale of the Capitol Hill property. This was an easier consensus to name out of the discernment meetings and the listening meetings over the last 18 months. It was very clear in those sessions that whatever is ahead of us, it is not tied to Capitol Hill. It's not tied to that house. And it's time for a new life and use for the property with current renters leaving at the end of August 2019, the time is now <laughs> to commission a property transition team. I wanted to end this with a thank you. I want to thank this congregation and EMC for participation in the process, the input, the stories, the time, and a special gratitude to Nicole. Having a chance to sort of listen to your process and work more closely with you over the last few years, what came to mind um, is your ability to navigate and bring clarity to the complexity of young adult formation in this day and age and what MDS was becoming and who was coming. Um, you navigated that with brilliance and excellence and creativity. Uh, and how does this program, how was this program continuing to shape people in the life ways of Jesus? while maintaining an openness in your own self to the new and what is needed. And I really sincerely thank you for the leadership you've given of that in that year. Also appreciation to Bill Shaver, Grace Blosser, Isaac Blosser, Natalie Schmidt, Tyler Danson, and Susan Lorenz who cared for and supported VSers these past few years as the support committee. And we're also clear about the need for a shift, inviting our congregations to a deeper engagement and reflection on MDS in our past and in our future. Thank you for coming. Thank you. I want to acknowledge that we'll have some time for questions um, after the 
um, sharing of next steps. Um, so if you are finding yourself with any questions left at this moment, save them, write them down, and we will get to them a bit later. Um, I do, though, want to tend to what Jonathan named the grief and gratitude and potentially many other emotions that are among us as we think about this transition time and open up some time for storytelling. Um, I did contact as many people that I knew um, and that Megan, Megan helped me with this uh, who participated in the MBS house over the last few years to let them know that this time would be available. And I recognize that others of you are also connected to and touched uh, by the MBS house in other ways. So I'm going to invite MBS um, alumni, is that what you call it? I don't know. Oh, anyway, anyone who did MBS um, to come forward first. And um, Laura has already agreed to start off our storytelling. Rex Rempel also had agreed to share a story and unfortunately is sick today. Um, and then I had an email from Susan Lorenz that I'll read after Laura. Then we'll open it up to anyone who'd like to come up and share briefly. Um, do ask folks to keep it to about three minutes. Um, Dia will um, just keep track of time so that we can get back out into the sunshine. Um, so come on forward. Um, I did also forget to share, there was a request um, to um, record this section of the meeting and actually also the um, sharing from Jonathan and Anne. So I hope you're both okay with the fact that we just recorded you. If you're not, let us know. Um, and we're also going to be recording the stories um, to come so that we have this for the archives of our church, recognizing this as a significant program. So Laura, come on down. <laughs> we are looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, good thing public speaking makes me a little nervous because I'm asking um, some grief I didn't know was coming up for me. Um, because my two years in the MBS house were um, some of the most fun and formative years, I moved to Seattle in 2011 for MBS. I didn't know anybody except that my friend Kate told me that I needed to go to SMC and meet her uncle Ron because he was awesome. And that turned out to be very true, fantastic advice. <laughs> um, this morning when I was talking to Caitlin and Zach, um, Caitlin said, what are some words that come to mind when we think about MBS? Um, I shared with her, how on earth can I boil down these two years into three to five minutes? So there's freedom in um, that you can't, that what I share will be a glimpse. Um, but the words that came to mind were fun and laughter, food, and learning. So I'm just going to elaborate briefly on those. Um, first is fun and laughter. We had so much fun together. That is the word that just comes forth. Um, we played lawn games, board games. We invented games, both lawn games and various indoor games. We made fun of each other relentlessly. Um, we took so much joy in each other, um, and we laughed a lot. And I will say my first year was as an MBSer, my second year was an as an associate. The second word is food. MBS um, taught me how community can be formed and relationships deepened over sharing of food. We brought family traditions to the table, quite literally. We tried new recipes. Sometimes we failed at new recipes. We learned that for some people, cooking is a love language. We brought stories to each other through the sharing of food and sharing about our day, but also sharing about our lives and what brought us to Seattle. We celebrated birthdays um, over meals and cake, and everybody showed up to those. That was sort of an unnamed um, 
an unnamed thing that happened. We all showed up to these meals for each other. Um, I'm gonna skip ahead to learning because so much learning happened in that house um, and the context of living there. Um, and something that stands out to me is the practice of trying something, making mistakes, and having those learnings inform your next decision. So, um, so this, this can play out in a lot of ways, the learning of what past traditions happened. Like for instance, Candace was in the household before me and I heard all these amazing stories about the households before and then you have new people coming in and you think about what new traditions are gonna be started and what past traditions can we carry on and incorporate and I feel like that's something even our church today is learning how to do. Um, and then you learn about mistakes like the fact that some people do chores differently than others. So when somebody's in charge of closing the chicken coop and they, they go out just a couple hours after dusk and turns out the raccoons had gotten into the coop, you learn about clarifying what it means, <laughs> what different chores, <laughs> what carrying out a certain chore means. <laughs> so we also learned things like uh, which of the household members were, were uh, most deeply impacted by the death of the chickens. You learn about what might need to change. And then you get new chickens in the spring and <laughs> you decide which two people will be the, uh, the caretakers of the hens permanently rather than, rather than that being a rotating chore. <laughs> so I will say that was myself and Jessica, who's now the pastor of EMC. Um, she, and I, she and I were the chicken mamas and those, that's just a very precious memory to me. Um, so I'm deeply grateful for those two years and I'm excited to continue sharing of everything that we learned. Um, and all the amazing joyful things and also maybe the tough times and the fact that grief and joy can exist together um, in, in a time of reflection and transition transition process. Thank you, Laura. I wanna read uh, an email from Susan that she asked that we share. Susan says, I moved to Seattle in 1987 and joined the MBS unit on Capitol Hill, being in the program from 1987 to 89. MBS was the vehicle I needed to feel comfortable moving to a city where I did not have any connections. It was a chance for me to start living out the simple living values I was raised with. The chance to live in community with others was a mixed bag, <laughs> as people had different ideas of what living in community means. Mostly the households moved in many different directions from each other. I met Carl, her husband, through MBS here in Seattle, which makes me very nostalgic for that time period. I doubt I would have met him without our MBS connection. The late 1980s was a time when Capitol Hill was not teeming with new construction at every turn, a time when everyday people could still afford to live on Capitol Hill, and we balked at having to garner up $350 for renting an apartment after being in MBS. I am at peace with the unit closing. I now see myself in the Heston College student who just stayed here with us. The director told him there was an MBS unit here. To everything, there is a season. Are there others who would like to share a story today? I just, uh, Laura mentioned being an associate. I just wanted to call out who our associate was in our house, um, Beth Azaro, so she's not 
she had done LDS in Baltimore, but she was like the glue to our house, and she was really essential. Um, uh, coming to Seattle for VS was the first time I ever lived in a city as well, and the community was really important for me, and it was the first time I came out to anyone. Um, so it was a very nurturing environment, and um, and it's hard to find when you first graduate out of college and need a community like that. So um, that was really good. Um, uh, this is a little bit about the church, but so 1986, we were still doing um, um, gifts inventory from the church, which <laughs> we still do, right? Okay. So um, this is who signed, 1986, this is who signed up to assist with VS House Maintenance, which has been a theme for all the years we've owned that house. Okay, Emily Gertz, Bill Kay, who is deceased, Jack Miller, Terry Miller, Rob Murray, and Sandra Richardson. When you think about it, how many of those people are still integral part of our church community. So um, those who were serving as a support committee member were Ron Clausen, Marsha Miller, Anita Stokes, and Donna Unruh. So uh, just a little bit of, I mean, this church not, you know, it's, it's continued that support for many years. So, um, and I just want to say one other, uh, you know, I was actually, um, this challenged my pacifism beliefs. <coughs> I was mugged um, on Capitol Hill um, coming out of the Lucky's grocery store at Pike and Fif Pine and 15th. And, um, and I watched this guy kind of running away with my purse and I chased him and I yelled and I almost caught him. And I knew if I caught him, I was gonna do damage. Um, and it really did sort of challenge my inner sense about what, about nonviolence. And um, I walk that corridor now, and it's all pretty yuppie and um, changed. And I walk that corner and remember that time I was mugged. And um, I was so glad I was part of a community um, then because I, I certainly needed the support of that group. I'm Emily Gertz, and I came in the fall of 76 and was in VS for two years. And when I arrived, the, the house had been purchased and the VS unit had moved into it just six weeks or so before I came. And so there was this very strong sense of finally, you know, being together in a house after they had been scattered around in various apartments and almost kind of semi-homeless some couch surfing going on by some people is the way I remember hearing about that. So there was a very strong sense of gratitude about actually being in community and having a house where, where you could live in community. So that was a very significant part of that first year for me here. And the other thing uh, Susan mentioned about, you know, about living simply, well, a big theme, I would say, in, in my experience there is kind of what does it mean to live simply? Questions about is that living as cheaply as possible or living as naturally as possible? 
and that was when you know organic and natural foods and all of that were not really very readily available and uh, so there were you know struggle sessions around those issues and one thing I remember in particular going shopping with and I've, I've shared this before but going shopping with another VSer who uh, Ken and I started at the same time and he was really on the eating natural side of things and I was on the living as frugally as possible side of things. So we went shopping together and he, I, I had picked up a couple of loaves of kind of your generic whole wheat bread off the, count, off the um, shelves and put it in the grocery cart and he snatched it out of the cart and said, we don't want to eat that and put it back on the shelf and he took some you know all natural very expensive whole grain bread and put it in the cart and I snatched it out of the cart and said we can't afford that <laughs> and put it back on the shelf and I to me that just epitomizes that struggle between those two thoughts of what it means to live simply I think that we would be remiss not to acknowledge the incredible support that Bill Shaver has given the house for so many years. Work parties, last minute calls, plug toilets, all kinds of things that he has been there for those kids all this time. Thank you. Might be unrelated, but as a bachelor, I go grocery, grocery shopping. I can't get past the potato chips and pop. You can imagine some MVS struggle sessions about the potato chips and pop. <laughs> others? Are there others? I also want to invite folks who weren't in MVS to share. hand uh, the microphone back to Anne for a closing prayer of gratitude for this season. Um, like Susan in her, um, I just turned to Ecclesiastes to, to remember. Um, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time for to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. God, we have nurtured 
tendered and cared for this program, which has been a reflection of our commitment to a Christ-like life. But it is not the only way, and as we discern our next steps, may we be open to new directions, new life, new ways. We ask this in your name. Amen.